Good morning. My name is Brandon. Uh, I am the pastor of preaching here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, And as he said, uh, we're in a series that we're calling Christ of the Covenants, where we are um, looking at the major covenants in the Bible from Adam to Noah to Moses. uh, And by that, I mean to Abraham and then to Moses and then David and then the New Covenant. Uh, And we said that a covenant is a binding relationship with promises and conditions. Binding relationship with promises and conditions. And we said uh, that these covenants, uh, in what we're doing, we are tracing successive waves of God's grace. And so far, two waves have come in, Adam and Noah. And so with Adam, here's what happened. Uh, Adam, uh, God created man in his own image, and he said, go, multiply, and fill the earth. But then uh, sin enters the world fracture between man and God. And in Genesis 3.15, God makes a declaration that I'm going to redeem a people. And then Noah, uh, Noah, God sends a flood, but he preserves a family. He preserves Noah and his family. And he makes another declaration that I'm going to preserve the earth until I redeem a people. And today, uh, with Abraham, God is going to sharpen the pencil a little bit more. Uh, He's going to sharpen the pencil, and a people are going to become my people. And so let's uh, let's look at it, verse 12. And by verse 12, I mean chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, pause for clarity's sake. Uh, Abram becomes Abraham later, but I'm not going to highlight that. And so we're we're just going to call him Abraham from here on. Uh, You should go and read, though, and find out why the name has changed. It's really beautiful. Um, So Abram, uh, Abraham, here's what he said. Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. All right, so here's right up front in Genesis 12.1, here's what he says to Abraham. Go, hey, leave your family, leave your country. Now, here's what this is a calling to do. This is a calling to leave identity and security. This is what he's calling Abraham to do. Take your identity, right, who you are, meaning, purpose, what it is that gives your life meaning, Set it aside. Hey, that, that thing that gives you security, set it aside. Family, identity, uh, country, security. Um, so now I want you guys to answer this question for me. Not out loud, just kind of in your head maybe. Uh, answer, unless you want to do it out loud and we can all talk at one time and it'll be awkward. But we, we want to answer this question. I am a blank. I'm a blank. What's your answer? Don't say it. Don't say it. What's your What's your answer? Here's the thing. Generally, the way that we answer that question in the West is we answer with what gives us the most social meaning or an identity, if you will. We answer, I'm a blank, with what we think will give us the most social meaning, social credibility, what will give us a social um, identity. That's why we answer the question, uh, you probably answered, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher. I'm a something, because in our context, in the West, where we live, the air that we breathe, the air that we breathe in the West is who I am is determined by what I do. Who I am is determined by what I do. It's why, for example, even stay-at-home moms, of which my wife is one, even stay-at-home moms desperately want us to know, hey, what I do is a job. And to clarify, my stay-at-home mom wife works harder than I do by far. I would say than you do as well, but I don't know exactly what you do, and so I'm just going to make the guess that she works harder 
than all of you by far. Like 108-hour week is a light week for my wife, okay? But it's why, it's why my wife wants you to know that what I do is a job. It's work. Because the air that we breathe in the West is who I am is determined by what I do. But for Abraham, it was totally different. For Abraham, it was totally different. Who I am is determined by who my family is. Right, so he would have answered that question. My last name is Barker. Uh, he would have answered that question, I'm a Barker. Right, I answer, I'm a pastor. Uh, he would have answered, I'm a Barker. Because identity, meaning who I am, it's shaped and determined by who my family is, not so much what I do. Not true in our context, in our West. But then it also would have challenged security. All right, so for Abraham in his day, being inside your borders, being inside your nation was how you guaranteed safety. Right, we live in a, uh, in a really globalized world, uh, and, and, and we know when I get on the plane and I fly to X country or X city, I, I know what's happening there. I know where I can go that's safe, where I can't go. Like, I, I know that I could fly to the Middle East and I could land in Dubai and I'm going to be as safe there as I am right now. But I know that there are parts of the Middle East right now where if I flew to, I would land right in the middle of ISIS and I avoid that place. Right? In, in his day, like, there was no global travel. There was no internet. There was no TV. There was no Fox and CNN to drive people crazy. It was just, you stay inside your country, and that's how you know you're safe. And so when God said, leave, he was saying, hey, take all the safety that you know and forsake it. Forsake your identity. Forsake your safety. When he said, leave your family and leave your country, this was a radical call to Abraham to leave behind the identity and the security that he knew. Now, verse 2, and here's why. And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's why. There are three things. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you. Now, one at a time. I'm going to make you a great nation. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, all the security that I'm calling you to leave, I'm going to recreate. All the security I'm going to leave, I'm going to recreate. And then I'm going to make your name great. And then I'm going to make your name great. He's saying, all the identity I'm telling you to leave, that I'm calling you to leave, I'm going to recreate it also. The identity and the security that I'm calling you to leave, I'm going to recreate. And now, let's stop for a second. Because here's what I don't want. Here's my, my, my fear in this sermon, really in this entire series, if I'm honest, is that, that this could become kind of abstract theology where we, we kind of sit in the clouds and, and we think, hey, this is cool Bible story, but I don't really see what this has to do with my life. And let me tell you, here's what it has to do with your life. What are the two things you are desperately chasing? Identity, security. But what is it that you want so badly out of your paycheck? Identity and security. What, what is it that has you driven to want to get married so badly? Identity and security. Right, and listen, obviously, I'm going to say this. I'm assuming you assume it. There is Nothing wrong with it. I'm for jobs. I want you all to have jobs. In fact, I want your paychecks to triple. I'm all for it, okay? I want, if you in here and you want to get married, I want you to get married. I, we are for, this is beautiful. These are good things. But what do you want out of them? 
You want identity. You want security. Right? I, I want to know that I can look at my bank account and know no matter what happens to me in my life, I'm going to be okay. I, I want to be able to say I do X. And, and listen, for some of us, it's not the, the size of our paycheck that we're after that we get this identity and security from. For some of us, it's the nobility of what we do. Right? It's just as twisted. All right, so if, if you say, like, I want to say I'm a stay-at-home mom, because I think it's noble, or you want to say uh, I'm a teacher, because that's noble, or you want to say I'm a, you fill in the blank, because you think it's, like, socially noble to do this, and you have constructed an identity based on the nobility of what you do, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up one day hollow on the inside, hollow on the inside. If you look to your paycheck, if you look to the size of your paycheck to create an identity and a security for you, uh, you're going to wake up insecure, never comfortable in your own skin. Never looking at your bank account feeling like, I've got enough, and so I've got to just keep working, keep working, keep working. 60 hours, not enough. 70, not enough. I've got to keep putting in time. I've got to get ahead. I've got to get ahead. I've got to get ahead. Why? Because you are looking to a job to provide what it is that, that, that God called Abraham to leave and said, I'm going to recreate. Never going to find it. Never going to find it in a job. And then he says uh, that I'm going to bless you. Uh, and we need to talk about this uh, because in our, uh, in our day, uh, I don't know how to say this, I mean, this is a global issue. Uh, when we think blessing, uh, what, what do we think? Like we, we always think just material, like, like we think, man, I got those Benjamins coming in, baby. Like the Lord just hooked me up with a house, with a car, with a you name it. That is not what Abraham or Abraham did not hear, I will bless you as cash. It's not what he heard. And sometimes when you want to understand the Bible, you've got to understand what they heard when they heard what they heard. All right? So here's what Abraham, did y'all follow me on that one? I feel like that was clear. All right? Uh, here's what Abraham heard. Abraham heard Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You see, when, when Abraham heard the word bless, he, he heard, hey, I'm going to give you all of the identity and security that you ever want in a recreated people who live out the image of God throughout the earth. What he would have heard. He would have heard Genesis 1 being played out in him, or, or maybe if we could just say it this way, he would have heard, I'm going to give you a better family in a better country than the one that you left. I'm going to give you a better family in a better country than the one that you left. Why? Why? So that you will be a blessing to all families. So that all families will experience the identity and the security of the better family in the better country that is to come. So at the outset, uh, God says to Abraham, go, uh, go, and I'm going to multiply you. But then we hit chapter 15, and in chapter 15, there's, uh, there's a problem. And here it is, chapter 15, verse 2. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house, my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, behold, you have given me no 
offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So here's the problem. It's pretty straightforward. I don't have a son yet. Hey, God, you said I'm, I'm going to have this great nation. It's going to be this multitude of people. I, I don't have a son yet. If I don't have one, how can I have two? If I can't have two, I can't have three. If I can't have three, I can't have a nation. I don't have a problem. I have no son. And here's what God said. Here's the promise. And behold, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. So here's the problem. I mean, here's the promise. You're, you're going to have a son. And through that son, I'm going to come through in what I said. You're going to have a son who's going to have two, who's going to have three, who's going to be this nation. And I think that if we can uh, maybe together remember that, that Abraham's not a mythical hero, like he was an actual man, uh, we, we will identify with what Abraham is going through right now. But right now, if we, if we go back to Genesis 12, we didn't read verse 4, but God says to Abraham, go, in verses 1 through 3, and in verse 4, here's what Abraham did, he went. He went. Like, he didn't debate, he didn't ask questions, he didn't say, well, I, like, can you give me a path and tell me, like, what's next? He didn't, he didn't say, hey, um, can, can you just, like, highlight the countries to stay away from? Like, who are the ISISs of my day? Like, he didn't say any of that. He just went. And it looks like to Abraham that he's being incredibly faithful to God, but God is not being faithful to him. And who in this room, like who in this room would not say, I've been there? Like who in this room would not say, I've looked at my life and I've felt like, man, I am being faithful to God, but God is not being faithful to me. There are, like you've got this porn addiction that's just been eating at you for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I mean, you've taken all the steps. You've got like seven sets of covenant eyes on your computer. You're building all the walls. You're trying to be honest. You're diligent in the scriptures. You're praying. You're living life in community. You are as best you're able being open and honest with the people around you. You are desperately trying to get rid of it, and yet it seems to go nowhere. And in the middle of it, you feel like, God, I I'm striving for this. I am trying to be faithful to who I'm supposed to be, what it is that you've called me to do and not to do, and yet it won't go away. Oil goes sideways or downward, and you lose your job, and you just feel like the Lord has forgotten you. Like you look around, and you, you meet somebody, and you say, hey, man, what do you do for a living? Or, or hey, um, uh, woman, I mean, man, like universally, what do you do for a living? Uh, person, what do you do for a living? And, uh, and then try to be PC as much as possible around here. Um, that's not true at all, actually. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Uh, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, oh, I work in this industry. Oh, but are you guys taking a hit with oil? No, actually, man, when, when it goes down, we're one of those companies that just booms, and I'm just flowing in it right now. And just feel like, okay, Lord, why that guy? Why that woman? Like, why not me? Or, and we, I know we talk about this a lot, but it's such a present reality for us. It's such a present reality for us 
Uh, maybe you get invited to be a bridesmaid or a groomsman in a wedding, but yet you haven't been on a date in four years. Or you've got friends who are having their third and fourth and twelfth kid, and they're just giddy about it. And in and, and your month nine or month ten of infertility, maybe year two, year three, year six, feeling like, Lord, have you forgotten? And, and here's, the, here's the truth. There was a window of time not that long ago in my life where I would sit in a car and I, and I knew, like, I was a pastor. Like, I, I know what the scriptures say. Like, I know the Lord loves me. I, I know what it says about him being with me. And yet, in the middle of it, I just felt like God had forgotten who I was. Like the world was moving at such a pace. Like everybody's lives around me seemed to be going forward. And I was just sitting there going, Lord, do you, like, do you remember my name? Who in here hasn't been Abraham? And I know in verse 6 it says that he believed. I know it says that he believed, but... But if we just are data people for a second, when I look at the data, I have no data to say that this was like this robust, like, I get it. In fact, if you look at verses, you know, three, four, five leading up to it, it seems more like this I believe is more of this fragile struggle to believe that we have. Like, he didn't start, hey, God, I believe, I, I get it, I heard you, I, I mean, I'm still waiting on that son, and so I'm, I'm with you, um, but I believe. It, no, it was, God, I don't, like, how can this happen? I don't have a son yet. If I don't have one, I can't have two. Um, okay, okay, I, I believe. I believe. Like, I can almost feel Abraham trying to convince himself that I do believe in this. And so into this fragile struggle, God comes in and gives a sign. He comes in and gives a sign of the promise that he had made, and it's in chapter 17, verse 7. And I will establish... My covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, before we get to what the sign is, I need to stop and I need to say something. I need to teach on something. This is a generational covenant that he's starting, that he's entering into. Many of us, if you have a church background, we have been taught, I was taught, that what God does is God deals with individuals. And it is absolutely true that God does deal with individuals. It's also just as equally true that God deals with families. And listen, praise God. Like, praise God that he deals with individuals. Like, I, I was 22, uh, not interested in religion, not interested in Christianity. That's, I mean, I was interested in, like, spiritual things. I knew that there was more to life. Uh, on my, I, I, like, two in the morning on a Saturday night, we would be, you know, where you'd have too much to drink, and I'm sitting there with my buddies going, hey, let's get up and go to church in the morning. What do you say? Let's set that alarm for three hours from now. Like I was intrigued by it. I, I knew there was something more to life, but I didn't actually want what it was. 
I wasn't really searching for it. I wasn't really after it. And God sent these guys into my life who, if I'm, like, I wish they were here right now so, like, I could have them stand and, like, openly mock them in front of everybody. But they were really churchy 22-year-olds, uh, like, the, like the churchy churchy, like the kind that if they showed, like, I would sit down and go, hey, man, just take a deep breath, dude. You can just be you. You don't have to do the thing. You just be you, man. It's okay. Um, and you know what the Lord did to these churchy, churchy, 20, like Jesus ripped my life apart. I mean, absolutely ripped my life apart. There was not a single Christian in my family. The Lord has since started this little gospel movement in my biological family, but I, there wasn't one then. And praise God that he saves individuals, but it's also just as true that what he does is to deal with families. And let me show you where this is out of the scriptures. Genesis 2, God creates a family. Genesis 3, sin enters the world through a family. Genesis 4, the first effect of the fall, a murder from brother to brother. Genesis 6, God preserves and redeems a family. Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, hey, leave your family. Let's go create a new family through which I'm going to bless all families of the world. Trace it forward. We hit Acts chapter 2 pointing back to Abraham, and it says, hey, the, the promise, it's for you and your children and those who are far off. The primary metaphor for the church is family. The way, the way that Paul thinks of children in the New Testament parallels and mirrors the way that Moses talked about children in the Old Testament. Like God deals with families. This is a biological, um, generational covenant that he's entering into, and here's why it matters. Let me tell you why it matters. It's why you need to know this. This is why this is, this, is, so this is not abstract theology for some of you. Some of you, you're going to leave and go, cute. Some of you, you're going to need to know this. It, here's why. Because the sign of the promise that we're going to get to was to remind not just Abraham and his fragile state, but his children and his children's children. And his children's children's children, and on and on and on it goes. Those who would walk out and live out this fragile faith, this sign was to constantly point them back to the promise. It was to constantly point them back to the promise. And here's the sign, verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. The sign to remember was circumcision. And here's the way one theologian described the sign. He said the sign, the sign is a reminder of the promise and tangible guarantee of God's commitment to keep the promise. And here's why the sign was needed, because God said, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm going to be your God and the God of your children. And so he comes to Abraham and he, and he says, hey, hey, Abraham, listen, here's my, here's my promise. It's the whole thing. Right? Like you, great nation, God of your children. Listen, here's my promise. And Abraham going, nah, I'm struggling to believe. No, no, Abraham, listen to me. Here it is. Here's the promise. No, I'm struggling to believe. No, Abraham, listen to me. Here it is. I'm telling you, Abraham, I don't know about that. And okay, Abraham, here's my sign. I'm going to give you a sign to remember the promise by so that you would apply the sign and be reminded over and over and over and over about my promise, about the promise. And and this sign here in Abraham, 
it takes us to the heart of what we call sacraments. So in the Old Testament, right, circumcision, Passover, New Testament, baptism, communion. And at the heart of this sign is the heartbeat of what we call sacraments. And so last week, uh, we had baptism Sunday. It was just, if you were here, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just beautiful. And I gave this illustration that baptism was like my wedding ring. And I said, uh, you know, when, uh, when, I, uh, 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 when I put the ring on my wife's finger, uh, I was saying to her, listen, I, I belong to you. I belong to you. I'm making a promise to you. I'm entering into a covenant with you, and I'm making a promise to you that says I belong to you. I also told you guys, my wife lost her wedding ring, no insurance. You need to get insurance on all of your rings right now. Total loss for us, it was a fail. But I put it on her finger, and I said, I, I, I belong to you. I belong to you. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament is a declaration from God that I belong to you. Is God making a pledge, making a declaration to you that says, I belong to you. I belong to you. I am yours. You are mine. I belong to you. And then communion. Every, every week we come down to this table. We, we leave the aisle. We walk down. We take the bread. We dip it in the cup. Somebody says... Um, the, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And here, here's what's happening when you're coming down to the table. God is saying to you, hey, hey, look, look, look down at your hand. Every time you come to the table, God is saying, hey, look down at your hand. I've already put a ring on it. I belong to you. It is a renewal of the promise, a reminder of the covenant promise of God every single time we come. It's why. It's why we believe that you and I need the table week in and week out. We need a constant reminder that God is saying to us, I belong to you. That's what the sign is. So why are they needed? Because we struggle to believe all of our faith is more fragile than we want to believe that it is. And so God in his grace and in his mercy gives signs to say, here's my promise. And so, so far with Abraham, God has said, go, I'm going to multiply you. He makes a promise, uh, makes a promise to give you a son, to be the God of you and your children, a great nation to come. Uh, but like every covenant, there's also conditions. And so here they are. If we just take a broad sweep and we go chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, here, here's the conditions. Go. Go. Abraham, go. Believe the promise. Keep the sign. Conditions, go, believe the promise, keep the sign. Go, believe the promise, keep the sign. And here's, here, here's the question that, that we have to come to and we have to ask, and really it's one of those questions that, that theologians really wrestle with and wrestle with deeply, is, is the covenant, is the covenants of God, is this Abrahamic covenant, like is it conditional or is it unconditional? All right, is it a conditional covenant where, where it's, hey, Abraham, I'm going to do this if you do these things, or is it unconditional, right? I'm, I'm going to do them no matter what. Like, I'm going to do no matter what, no matter what you do, no conditions. I'm just going, uh, I'm just going to do it. What is it? What's the answer? Uh, the answer is found back in chapter 15 uh, in a text that we didn't read. But here it is, verses 8 through 10. And listen, I'm just going to read it. I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate yet. But he said, O Lord, O Lord, 
Now, remember, early in 15, he's already made this promise. You're going to have the son. Through that son, you're going to have the land of your sojournings. You're going to have the nation. Oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, Abraham to God, cut them in half, laid each half over and against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Now, let's stop. To us, this is weird, right? Like if any of you brought a, let's call it, let's just pick one, call it a ram. It doesn't matter if it's three, it could be two, four, five, seven years old. You brought it in here, sliced it in half, set it right here. We would escort you to HPD. That's what we would do. Like this is weird. But it wasn't weird to Abraham. Abraham knew exactly what was going on. This wasn't foreign. Abraham knew that this was a covenant ceremony that was beginning. And in a covenant ceremony, here's what you have. You have a king and you have a peasant. And a king would enter into his covenant with the peasant, the peasant's people. And the king would say, um, hey, peasant, go, grab these animals. And then the peasant would go and he would get the animals, he would bring the animals, he would cut the animals in half and he would make two rows, make two lines. You'd walk between them. And then, and then the king would give stipulations. He would give the conditions, if you will. He would give the, hey, if you do this, you'll live. If you don't do this, you die. And then the peasant, having laid them out, the peasant would then walk through the pieces, would walk through the halves. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, if I don't fulfill the stipulations of the covenant, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, let me be like these animals torn into two pieces. So Abraham, Abraham knows this, knows this. He knows that, that when peasants walk through the rows, they're, they're saying, hey, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, may the judgment of the covenant come landing on me. And so Abraham waits, and he waits. And what happens next? What happens next is a arrow to the heart of Christianity. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. See, in this scene, darkness, the darkness that came down represented the judgment of God. The fire represented the presence of God. See, this covenant ceremony, it was like every other covenant ceremony and unlike any other covenant ceremony. And in this ceremony, there were two surprises that would have leveled I mean, leveled Abraham. 
Surprise one, kings. Kings never, never pass through the pieces. Kings never pass through. Kings knew that if they passed through, they were saying, let the judgment come to me, and kings would never pass through. Never. But here, fire comes down. The presence of God comes down and passes through. And surprise too, not only Not only did God pass through, Abraham was never asked to. See, not only was God saying to Abraham, I will be torn into pieces if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. He was saying to Abraham, I'll be torn into pieces if you don't. And years later, centuries later, Abraham and we would know what that meant. When on Calvary, darkness came down, the darkness of judgment in the midst of the darkness was God in the person of Jesus literally, literally being torn into two. So is the conditional, is the covenant conditional or unconditional? Yes. It's unconditional because Jesus met all of Abraham's conditions for us, for him. Yes. And here's what this means for you. This is where it is not abstract theology. Here's what this means for you. Christian, here's what this means for you. This means all that Abraham was called to leave, identity, security, you have in Christ. All that he was called to leave, you have in Christ. All the identity, all the identity, you have it in Christ. You have a new name in Christ, son, daughter, heir, All the identity you could ever want, you have in Christ. What Abraham was leaving behind has been recreated in Christ in you. And all the security that he was called to leave, you have in Christ. Listen to me. There is nothing, Christian, nothing that you could need or want 10,000 years from now that you don't have or can't get today in Christ. Nothing. Like, nothing. There is nothing that will bring you security 10,000 years from now that isn't available to you in Christ. And to look to your bank account for that kind of security is a hollow, hollow pursuit. It is a hollow pursuit that is going to leave you insecure. To look to any relationship to look to any relationship to give you what you think your soul is going to need 10,000 years from now that you can have in Christ today is a hollow pursuit that's going to leave you married and lonely. And saying, 
in Genesis 15, it's this screaming fire to you that says, what Abraham left you have in Christ. It's available to you in Christ. It's right here. Come and grab it. Grab it. So where, where, where do we get this? Where do we live this out? Listen to how the New Testament describes the church. You ready? Acts 13, 26, Paul, a pretty famous author in the New Testament, wrote much of it, said to a church, uh, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. And then uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, we're called a holy nation. A holy nation. So we... The church is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is where we live and find the better family, the better country. In Christ, Christ is the better family. He is the better country, and we are the body of Christ where we live out what we have in Christ, the better family, the better country, or maybe this way, the new source of identity, the new source of security. This is where we live this out. The church is where? Church is where you learn to live who you really are. I want this to settle. The church is where you learn to live who you really are. Like Abraham left, this is who I am, so that God could recreate who I am, so that you could live out all of the blessings of the covenant with Abraham and redefine who you are inside the church. And this is, this is why, this is why neighborhood parishes are so desperately important. So desperately important. It's communities of men and women who come together, who live life together, and we're not doing it because it's like this cute, hip thing today to say, hey, we need community. It's that these men and women are meant to be people who remind us of our new identity and guarantee us, provide the kind of security we're looking for. I am, uh, to illustrate this, what I, the role of neighborhood parishes, um, I'm learning to, to charcoal grill. Uh, I've done it three times. I'm not any good at it. Each steak I've made has looked like a mushroom when it got done, and so if you know what that means I'm doing wrong, please grab me afterwards and, and let me know. Uh, it's a bit shameful. It's like the only manly thing that I'm even trying to do with my life, and so I'd like to get good at it. Um, I'd like my wife to not, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I'm, <laughs> so I'm learning to charcoal grill, and when you do it, you light the, the charcoals, and, and then the flame starts, and then uh, I've got kids that are 6'5", too, and uh, you're going to probably judge me for this, and, and that's, you know, perfectly okay with me. Um, but they like the big fire, and so I'll tell them, hey, stand over there, and then I, and then I get the, the lighter fluid, <laughs> big fire. But I, I like the big fire too, and so it's just fun, right? I've learned you don't do that with the handheld thing because it, <laughs> right in front, I lost my arm here the other day, burned my thumb. It was, it, it's, uh, see, I'm telling you, I'm not any good at it. I'm just trying to get started with it. Um, but it, here's, the, here's the point. Like, Jesus is that flame underneath the charcoals. Like, we, we can't create the flame in one another. What we are is the lighter fluid. We, we're what get poured on the flame so the flame would explode. When we say step into a neighborhood parish, we, we're saying, hey, go, go where the lighter fluid is. Go. Go, go stand there. Let, let, it, let the flame be ignited in you through people. It's why. It's why. It's why we are passionate about multiplying new parishes and planting new churches. In fact, 
if I'm lying, you tell me after. And, um, but Reed and Lauren, who started the new parish in Cottage Grove area, uh, here's the way this went down. Hey, we're selling our, we want to be neighborhood parish leaders. We're going through the process. We're selling our house. Um, Drew Knowles, one of our pastors sitting in the back over there, uh, came and said, hey, listen, we don't have a lot of parishes in this Cottage Grove area. Would you consider moving down here, buying a house over here? No, no, not over there where you're looking. Would you consider buying one over here? And they said, hey, if that's what, if that's what it, we need to really saturate our neighborhood with neighborhood parishes, yeah, I'll go buy a house over there. And they bought a house over there to start a neighborhood parish in Cottage Grove so that, so that men and women all around them, all around them who are searching for identity and security outside, outside of anything that will offer it, might have it become available to them. So why, why a church in Spring Branch? So that men and women, so that men and women who are searching for identity, like, like us, who are searching for security in areas like job, relationship, but not in what God promised to Abraham, not what Christ offers, might one day, might one day, find actual identity and actual security and have themselves redefined by Jesus. And I think my, my prayer for us, my, my prayer for us together is that a community, as a community, as a group of men and women who have entered into this thing called church, that we might have our identity redefined that we might step into a neighborhood parish, be willing to open ourselves up, live honest, transparent lives, vulnerable with one another, so that we can have the real us redefined in light of grace. That we might step into a neighborhood parish and have real security provided all around us. And by the way, security is holistic. It's spiritual, emotional, physical. Inside of our neighborhood parishes, it's where if life falls apart, we're there for one another. If we lose our job and we can't pay our bills, hey, we, we sacrifice for one another. It's holistic. We together fan the flame of our new identity and our new security in Christ together. And our prayer, maybe, maybe, that might continually redefine us as a church. Let me pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for men and women in this room right now who, uh, who, who I who I know need their lives to be redefined in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I pray you would give them the courage to maybe look to Jesus, um, look to Jesus and pray. Maybe for the first time, Lord, change me. Change who I am. And I, I thank you that we have it available to us in Christ, that in Christ we can, we can have an identity and a security that is going nowhere. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.